is the number one commodity in the world that you can't get back once it's gone. Time. So I will keep this brief. I'm Mutita Panmuk, a time efficiency expert and a business operations strategist, who is as known as the Time Queen. Welcome to my Get Unstuck Radio. Running a business can be very overwhelming at times, especially in the first few years when you are required to wear the hats and do all the things. You started your company because you had a vision that almost every business owner has when they begin. You wanted freedom, true freedom. So you are in the right place to help you build and grow your business that support your lifestyle, not the other way around. Without further ado, let's get unstuck. Hi, Get Unstuck Nation. So our guest today, Jody Gunen, who is partner and virtual CFO, practice leader of Submit Virtual CFO, which is the leading provider of virtual CFO services in the North America. So he's also an author of Digital Dollars and Cents and building the virtual CFO firm in the cloud. So today we are going to talk about uh, how to build and grow your businesses in the years and also um, how to have the ideas of disruption from the normal, how other people do and think differently and also how to have a visions in these 20 years of experiences of how to help clients maximize profit, minimize taxes, and also increase cash flow. So please welcome Jody to Get Unstuck podcast today. Yay! Hi, Jody. Hi, Multita. How are you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? Not, not bad, not bad. So, Jody, I mean, 20 years you have been doing in this business. It's been a long time, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, 20 years ago. It, uh, when I uh, when I started out, we, um, you know, it was one of those things that, that I, I kind of felt orphaned. And what I mean by that is I worked in a uh, public accounting firm uh, for about uh, three years, two different ones, and realized pretty quickly that I didn't like public accounting. And I didn't the reason I didn't like public what I did like about it was I was you know worked on many different clients at one time it was fun guy kind of going from one client to the next but what happened was that uh, the hours were just way too too many you know I wanted to raise a family uh, I, I really didn't see a career path there for me and so I thought the uh, you always think the grass is greener so I, I jumped to the corporate world and worked for a, a 250 million dollar manufacturing company and thought this has got to be the way because again I wasn't working the bazillion hours I was working in public accounting but um, pretty quickly I mastered what my my role was and uh, it, it became super boring and and so I realized that you know pretty quickly that that I didn't like either I didn't like the corporate world and I didn't like the public accounting world and so I had to figure out what to do with myself and that's when I um uh, the entrepreneurial spirit came out, and I thought, you know, hey, let's let's kind of create a company that does the best of both worlds. And that's so about twenty years ago. That's when we started uh, Summit with that concept. But why you choose accounting, by the way? Uh, accounting. Well, that's basically the degree I went into college for. So I, I, I went into college thinking, hey, accounting is something that if it doesn't work out, I always thought this. If it doesn't work out, it's a skill that I can apply to other types of business. So if I want to be a Owner in a business or an entrepreneur or, or whatever that might be, 
accounting would give me that skill um, that, that I could that would enable me to to work in different areas. And so that's why that's why I picked accounting. It was either between accounting or finance. I wouldn't one of one of the two of those. So definitely, I have no background in this area. But how different actually for a person to decide like between accounting and finance? Yeah. So with finance, if I were going to go into finance, my my end goal would be more more stock trading. So I'd be going mm-hmm. and trading stocks and bonds and working with um, individuals, mostly individuals, and helping them invest their money. You know that sort of thing. Whereas with accounting. Um, it, it gave me the opportunity to, you know, it, it was more so on the tax side that that I that I saw accounting. So it was so help, helping and understanding the tax laws, of, of, especially of, of the United States, and and helping clients with that matter. So it was more do I want to go to the tax side with accounting, and then um, small businesses, and you know, working with them and teach them how to be profitable, or do I want to go on the finance side, and, and that was more of the individual um, and helping them grow their 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 money, you know, make helping them make helping their money make money. Ah, oh, that's why. Because mm. I I have been thinking that there are two at least. Uh, occupation like after you certify that you can work for the lifetime is one is the mm-hmm. lawyer another is cpa right that you can yep. sign for the the whole until you die that's exactly right yep i hope i don't, hope i'm not working that long <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> as well but yeah at least <laughs> So, and how you started this business then? Yeah, so when I um, when we when we started it, I started it with the idea that I wanted to do things differently, and I, I didn't want to be a traditional accounting firm. And so I thought, you know, that with the entrepreneur part of me, uh, kind of took over. And it's like, well, how can we do things differently? And, and immediately, I went I went back and we I did the things that I was I knew I knew how to do. And that was, you know, preparing tax returns, you know, meeting with clients and kind of going over historical information. And that's how I, I got started. So I got started as a traditional model. And it, that was about 20 years ago. And within two years, I realized, you know, hey, this isn't working out. So the first thing we did is I uh, had to figure out how to productize the service. Uh, because what happened was it was in public accounting and still is pretty dominantly today is that people work by the hour and charge by the hour. And so I, I didn't like that concept. And I thought, you know, hey, can we get rid of that concept and how can we do it? And so I thought, well, if we productize the service, that's the first step on getting rid of the billable hour so that we won't have to, you know, I want to send an invoice out to a client and, and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, that's what I did. And so the, the the idea was, hey, let's let's meet with clients on a regular basis and let's provide them some insight on what they did. Uh, clients loved it. You know, they, they they would come to the meetings. And I felt that if I'm meeting with them on a regular basis at the end of the year, when it comes time to do uh, their tax returns, then it would be very simple for me to do. So the tax side of me, you know, it was like, yeah, this would, this would make my life a lot easier January through April, which is the U.S. tax uh, season there. And but so it, and, and it would spread out the time that I was working on clients evenly throughout the year versus having it highly concentrated into a, a tax season that is pretty traditional with accounting firms. And so uh, started off by productizing and thought, you know, hey, historical stuff, that was great. Um, clients would come, they would get a good understanding. And then I started offering and putting a twist onto it and offering cash flow forecasting. And, and with cash flow forecasting, now now we're talking about what the what, what the client's cash position was going to look like, you know, from day one over the next 13 weeks. And really broke it down for the client, and it's pretty amazing because as a 
as a CPA or as an accountant, I kind of took that as for granted that all business owners did that. You know, that's what we did in the million, multi-million dollar manufacturing company. I was responsible for cash flow. I had to, you know, look at the cash flow on a regular basis and, and, and see how long, you know, cash would last and all, all that, you know, when timing of receivables and payables would come in. And uh, I, I just assumed that all business owners would do that. And I was wrong, you know. They were really good at their craft, but not great on the financial side. And so uh, that little thing really helped me and sparked the idea that, hey, I can productize this, not only looking backward, but going forward. And so clients started asking questions like, you know, hey, can can you do more for us? You know, and it's like, well, yeah, I can. And and so then the next thing I did is instead of the, just the 13-week cash flow, um, I, I, I looked at what we call a, a year, two years, and three year forecast. And so we're dialing into the client and, and really kind of teaching them what, you know, w- where they're going to be over the next year, two years, and three years. But but the key was, is that I realized pretty quickly that clients don't understand numbers. And what I mean by that is um, I can't just magically say, hey, yeah, if we increase sales by 10% next year, that's automatically going to happen. And because it doesn't. And, and so I had to break it down into non-financial indicators or non-financial numbers so that clients could understand it. You know, with a service-based industry, it's the number of people, uh, their utilization rates, their average bill rates. Those are some of the kind of the KPIs. With a trucking company, like a truck repair company, it might be the number of trucks coming into the repair shop, the, the dollar amount of the repairs that are being made. And it could be the inventory of trucks that they have in order, you know, that, that they have on, on, on site to, to actually be completed over the next month or so. And so then when I talk to the client, I'm talking trucks, not necessarily numbers. And so it's like, hey, you missed your number by X amount of dollars. You know, what happened? Did you not have as many trucks come through? And they're like, yeah, we missed it, but we only had four trucks. We thought we were going to get six. And then it's then the, then the conversation goes, well, is that going to happen next month too? Are you expecting six or four? Should we increase or decrease it? And, and then basically show them, hey, here's your cash position in six months. And here's what it looks like based on the fact that we had four come in versus the six that we thought. Or And we can kind of tweak the changes and they can really see exactly what they're doing now and how that impacts going forward. And, and, it's, and it's kind of funny because when we start engagements out now, you know, that's one of the first questions we ask, you know, where do you want to be in, in three years? Where do you want to do? What do you want to do in a year? What's what's the purpose of your business? And and they'll, they'll say, I want to retire or they want to sell or, or whatever that might be. And then as the CFO for that client, then we can say, okay, well, here's, let's go ahead and create the forecast to show you how it's, you know, what it's going to be like in two years when you sell, you know, what, what you know, and, and they say, I want, I want to get so much money for the company. Well, in order to get that, that amount of money for the company, here's what you have to do from now until then in order to achieve that. And so then it just kind of puts, it puts the, again, the, the uh, goal out there so that the so that the client can understand exactly what they need to achieve in order to get you know to where they want to be and so there's no surprises along the way and we 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 did that with clients from from there on that and then clients just asked for more and more and more and so we started offering back in office you know back in accounting stuff like we offered to help pay their bills and do the receivables and their payroll and some of the accounting functions that goes, you know, typically goes along with it. We start offering that for a few clients, and that's about a third of what we do today is the accounting function. Ninety percent is the CFO, but you know, it, it led. It, it was kind of a reverse what today. We we started with the advisory side, and then eventually added on to it, and uh, it it's grown tremendously from the time we started 
with no money back, you know, 20 years ago to growing it to a $10 million firm in 2022 and then eventually selling it to a, a large CPA firm and now being part of a division of that CPA firm with the idea that, hey, we're going to grow at 5x of revenue over the next, you know, five years. And so it's been, been a pretty, pretty great journey. So again, it's a long question, a long answer to your question, but that's, that's how that, uh, that's how that started. Wow. What are the data that you have to have initially in hand to be able to forecast to match your exit or your end goal? Something yeah. So, yeah. That's a great question. So, the, you know, what kind of data do we have to have? And so it really depends on the client. So let's say that you came into, you became a client of ours and let's say that you had a salon. Uh, the, the data that we would need to have is, you know, where you're at today, you know, what, what is your, what your accounting look like right now? So we need to have a starting point and that starting point is really important. So good financial records, super important to have today. And then just in talking with you, what are your goals that you want to achieve going forward? You know, do you, do you want to accumulate cash? Do you want to sell, you know, whatever that, whatever those end goals might be. And, and that's really all we need to know. And then we, then from there, we just need to know what, what are your drivers of revenue? You know what? So if it's a hair salon, how many haircuts are how many haircuts you're going to be doing? What's the frequency of you know co- companies coming in? Are you selling other products? You know what, whatever what all the different you know revenue drivers. It's important for the CFO to understand and know that, and then be able to to forecast that out. You know what do we typically spend in a week, a day, a month, and whatever that might be? How many haircuts are coming through a day in the month? How many how many uh, different uh, beauticians or barbers do you have on staff? Are you going to be adding more, you know, all the different things that drive revenue uh, in order to basically to, to create a revenue forecast. And then we need to know the direct costs that are associated with it. So if we're going to hire a barber, well, then how much are we paying that barber or beautician for that service? So is that are, we, are they on commission? Do we pay them a booth rental fee? You know, how, how does how do you make money? And so. You know, those are the two main drivers up there is the revenue driver and then the direct costs associated with it. Uh, From there on out, it's just simply the administrative marketing and facility costs. And those are fairly general and fairly fixed expenses that don't change a ton from year to year or shouldn't change a ton for year to year. And then ultimately, the the big question then is how much money do you want to make? You know, because you might build this model and this model might be designed to only make a small dollar amount. And then is it worth all the effort in the model to achieve this dollar amount? Or is the end goal to make to sell it in three years or two years and make your, your a ton of money at that point? Or is it, you know, is it is it that the goal is to make a lot of money now, knowing that you know maybe down the road you might not make as much, or maybe you'll make more based on you know how how the uh you know, trends are going with mergers and acquisitions. So it's it, it just kind of diving into the client, figuring out how their business operates, what are the revenue drivers, what are the direct expenses associated with it? And then from there on, just kind of building that forecast uh, based on real life activity, you know, what, 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 what could potentially happen. And so once that forecast is built in, in design, um, you just can't just let it go. You can't leave it there and say, yeah, we've done our job now. Good luck. You know, it's a constant revisit every single month and see, hey, are you hitting your numbers? You know, do we need to change anything going forward? You know, or, you know, do we need need to increase things going up or back? Are you going to get there quicker now because you're doing so well? You know, we thought it's going to take you three years. Now it's two and a half years based on your 
your progression or maybe it's longer because maybe you got a slower ramp up or or whatever but it's important to have those monthly check-ins to see how we're doing and then make adjustments to it yeah uh, we, we, you know to the to the modeling part mm, so if you have those data you can do that yourself actually mm-hmm. yeah yeah everybody on this call can do it themselves they don't need a, a, a virtual CFO to do it the uh, the thing is that you know often they need that person to you know affirm that uh, what they're doing is is, is accurate because uh, what happens is if we start making bad uh, assumptions it could lead us into the wrong direction so that's where it comes to having somebody like a consultant or advisor or CFO uh, helping the helping whether that person's internally in their business or externally really makes no difference uh, but they need that person to be able to help them and, and, and kind of guide them along the way because as a business owner we're all lonely out there we, you know we you know, we, we can't tell our, our second command the you know when the when the you know the good and the bad we, we, we tend to hold it into ourselves and what that advisor does it allows allows you to share that information and be able to you know make better decisions because of it yeah when especially when we are too close to the problem we don't see yeah. the solution That's and exactly. yeah and I like it when you when you say that you have to explain in the the language that actually your clients understand. That is something that is hard, though, because when I see all the numbers, like fin- uh, financial year report or something, I'm like, mm-hmm. I know how to read it, but can you translate it for me? <laughs> right, right, exactly. It, it's a foreign language. language. <laughs> yeah, that really is. It's completely a foreign language for majority of business owners. Yeah. So yeah, I understand. Like we show the data and also translate. That is so important for for interpretation. Yeah, I, I get mm-hmm. that. I get that. Yep. Yeah. So, and how come, see, like, virtual CFO, like, and you you have opened this firm for, like, 20 years, but you you told me that you start to do virtually 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. mm-hmm. how this idea happened? <laughs> That's a great question. So, we, um, for the first probably 10 years of it, um, we, we actually went to the client, the client came to us. And so it was a very in-person relationship. And I realized pretty quickly that that was not scalable. You know, although it was great and you get out of the office and you meet people and all that kind of stuff, wasn't scalable. And I was trying to, trying to make something bigger than myself. And so we thought, well, hey, how can we make it scalable? And so we, we started marketing nationally at that time. And so you know, as opposed to just finding clients that were local. And so we found a client in Rhode Island, which for that point, it was, you know, 10 states away and there was no way that we would be able to actually go to their location. So we thought, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to figure it out. And so we, um, you know, they they asked if we needed to be there and I said, no, absolutely not. You know, we can do everything uh, remotely and we started doing it over the phone. And so a lot of it was phone conversations initially, the internet wasn't great back then, uh, so video conferencing is very tough, very choppy, and, and so the phone worked out really well. We met with them on a regular basis over the phone, and, and talking about how, how to be creative is talking numbers over the phone, super tough. <laughs> and uh, with that, had to send information in advance, and, and it was a it was a big a big thing, but we figured it out. And then we realized, wow, this could be great if we could actually do the video conferencing. And so it was about a year later. Uh, we started uh, cr- or moving our our meetings from the phone to video conferencing, and 
it changed that changed pretty significantly. It was like, wow, this is super, super easy now because now we can share screens. Uh, again, the video wasn't great at that time, but it was better. And we can share screens and we can kind of walk through things with the client, you know, and it was it was really easy to to do. And so we started offering the CFO service virtually versus in person. And so it wasn't probably about until about 2013 in that ballpark that we thought, you know, why, why are we actually working together in an office? Because we had 18 people on the team at that time. And we're like, well, how, why, why can't we just simply work completely virtual? And, uh, you know, so we did. So we, we, we got rid of the office about 10 years ago and uh, the team figured out how to work remotely. Um, and, and the nice thing about it was we had a client that was one of the very first fully distributed client, uh, uh, you know, basically fully distributed companies, meaning that they, they, they didn't have an office at all. There were about 60 people on the team and uh, we learned from them. You know, we learned, Hey, this is what they're doing to keep, to have a very high culture. You know, their culture was awesome. They, they were able to be highly profitable you know, we, we, they, they, you know, we learn how to quote clients, you know, when you don't have to be in person, we, we learned a lot from them and we thought, well, let's bring that over to this, to the, to a CPA firm and, uh, and do that. We were, we were the first financial firm, uh, to go remotely, um, you know, about 10 years, 10 or so years ago and really haven't looked back. You know, we thought, you know, Hey, let's hire people all across the, the United States. Then it became, let's hire people internationally. And so we hired folks in India and the Philippines and Mexico and Canada. And we just started branching out looking for the best talent that could, uh, you know, that could do the job. And it, it worked out uh, in our favor uh, big time. We, you know, as we went through the pandemic, we really didn't have any, any issues there outside of people. Now, um, instead of having their kids at daycare, they're walking behind them on the screen. You know, that, that sort of thing is really the only difference that we had there. But one thing we did learn is, is in, in, in the remote world is that you have to, that people work for companies that, that they have friends with, that they can build relationships with. And so it was super important and super intentional that we were on camera all the time. Uh, we're always looking at eye contact to make sure that you understand and that you're comprehending. And, and you're really the eye contact is the big part of building that relationship. And so the, the camera was on all the time when it, when it came to all the meetings. Uh, never even heard of Zoom fatigue. That was something that was made up after uh, the pandemic. We we never experienced it in the ten years prior to that. So it was it was like it was kind of an interesting concept. It's like, well, there's reasons, there's things that you do and you can't do to get get around being on 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 screen. But the the big thing was is that we realized that you had to have that in person touch at some point. And what I mean by that is we have. Uh, retreats every six months because we found that, and again, there's no, nothing scientific about it, but we found that when it gets past six months, people start um, drifting away or, or losing um, uh, connectivity to your team. And with those with those retreats, it brings them back in. And, and, and with the retreat, what I mean by that is we bring them off site somewhere. So if we're if our heavy concentration of individuals would be in one state, we might look into a different state. Uh, and have a retreat in that state in which we could then bring everybody together and uh, do some workshopping, you know, some non-technical skills, you know, learning how to, you know, learning how to work with other people, 
you know, maybe how to handle difficult situations, you know, bringing in different speakers to talk, you know, the experts to talk about different things. And, and it's, it's very soft skill oriented with a kind of a twist for those folks that, that need the hard skill. Maybe if we've got something that, like a, a new software rolling out, we might roll it out at the retreat and show everybody at one time or, or, or something like that. But the, the big part about the retreats um, is that at the end of the day, we break out in small groups, have dinners, and then we all meet back for, uh, a half, you know, a cocktail hour. Uh, usually, rent something out to have everybody there, and uh, the team loves it. You know, they, they they're there. They they're out till one o'clock in the morning a lot. Um, you know, because they 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 really they're really looking for that connectivity, that having a beer, or having you know, be able to talk for a while or a coffee or whatever that might be um, with their teammates because they uh, you know they see them a lot through video, and this gets them a chance to to, to unite. And uh, the, the team loves it. We we have about I'd say ninety five percent attendance at the at all the retreats, and it's a big part of what we do and uh, why our attention rate is so high with our teammates. We don't get as much turnover because of that connectivity. The fact that we're people first, meaning we give them the opportunity to work anywhere they want and any time zone they want, just as long as they're meeting client obligations, um, and uh, in, in return. Uh, their responsibility is getting things done timely and getting things done with quality. And so that's a, a kind of a trade-off and, and, and teammates love it. And that's anytime we do our, our reviews, you know, that always comes up as they appreciate that we're so people first when, in, in those in those areas. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Never think about that. Yeah, I mean, like overall and, and how you describe it is it's very, it seems like everyone really engaging and looking forward to work together. That is something mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm, I'm keen to see in the company that like have mm-hmm. empathy toward each other that wakes up every day to work, exciting to work, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that happens too. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we use different softwares, you know, you, you've got to have the right people, first of all, in order to do it. You know, some people just aren't made to work from home. You know, and that's fine. Uh, but then you have to have the processes in place. You have to have the right tools. You know, like we, we use a tool from day one. You know, tools are kind of funny because accountants really don't like change. You know, you know it, 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 if change is one of the change is a really bad word for accountants. And so, you know, when we off, when we introduced a new software, everybody's like, oh, it's new software. I, I don't want to change. But when we offered this one software, which was a communication platform, uh, uh, based an office tool, uh, it was called Sococo. And uh, it, it reminds you of kind of SimCity, and it, it kind of shows everybody on the screen if they're in, if they're working today, and that sort of thing. And it gave everybody <laughs> a visual of people in an office, and so it was kind of neat because you know people could actually knock on somebody's door, you know, virtually knock on somebody's door. They could pop into a video chat. It could be a, a video chat regarding work, or it can just simply be you know hanging out, asking how they did last night. At, playing golf or whatever that might be, but it gave them the the ability to simulate the fact that they're working in an office environment and it made it really nice. And that was one of the, you know, that, that's just an example of different tools that, that are out there to really kind of help uh, the situation. So as a, as a business owner, you know, especially in today's, you want to look for tools that can, that can bring people together, you know, whether that's video conferencing through a Slack or, or Teams or Google or whatever that might be, you know, and don't, don't be married to it. You know, don't, don't think, Hey, just because I'm in Google meets right now that I'm going to use Google meets forever. Cause there might be something better out there, a better experience for your team or your clients that I want to hop into and figure out because technology changes so often. And so it's important to really stay up on technology and don't, 
don't be afraid to make change, make, you know, make change, especially in a remote environment. Cause technology, you have to be a technology first company really to, to, to really embrace the, uh, the, the work from home. Mm. You mentioned that you, okay. After, so 10 years ago, and then like following one year after you decided to, to go total virtually, you mm-hmm. invested for video uh, conference. That would yep. be a huge investment, though, back in the well, day. Well, the, the software back then was super cheap. So it, it really wasn't a huge investment. So the, the investment was we had to have, you know, the, the I, you had to have laptops, you know, so instead of the, the desktops, you know, I don't know if many people have desktops anymore or not, but you had to have a laptop, you had to have a, a video camera, you know, so that you had, had that. A lot of times it was built into the laptop, which was nice. Oh. Other times it was not. Um, and, and then you had to have a... Um, a microphone to speak into you know that, that was really really it because you had the camera and everything and and that's really all that they needed and so what we what we did is you know th- those are things that we would have bought for them anyways and a lot of our folks already had them because they're already working with clients virtually and so it wasn't a huge investment in technology at that point because of that and, and so it, it made it really a nice transition so when they took it home we said, you know what? We, we don't want to be your administrative person anymore. You know, we're going to give you a stipend. And uh, we gave our, our team a, a, a monthly allowance that they could build on a, at that point, it was called a PEX card. Now we use Divi cards for it. Uh, but it builds credit so that the, that when my microphone goes out or for a better microphone, I don't have to call in and ask if I can buy something. I just use my PEX card because I've got money allocated towards towards that. Uh, and, and we, we give like $2,000 or $2,500 a year. I don't remember the exact number anymore, but we give a specific dollar amount every year uh, that we know that our team's going to use. And so if they have a microphone change, they can do that. If they're, if they're chair, you know, a lot of times in an office space, everybody's you know fighting for the chair. If they want to get a chair, that's fine. Use their PEX car, get a chair. It just, you know, because again, it just takes away that allowance. But our team is ultimately responsible for replacing their computer. So they got to make sure that, they're not using their entire allowance and they, and they actually budget for it so that when the time comes to, to upgrade their computer, they've got funds in the PEX card in order to do that. And so we, we give the, our team the autonomy to, to use, to use their own funds or to use basically our funds set aside to, to, to be able to purchase and, and uh, you know, buy the technology, the, the, the software itself that I mentioned before, very inexpensive. It was, it was like 30 bucks a, a person, Per month, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big a big cost, which was nice. Um, but that's just part of the the technology part of it. Because you, when you think about it, you spend about four percent of your annualized revenue on office space, anyways. So instead of spending on office space now, now we're spending it on other things. We're repurposing that money for the retreats and we're repurposing that money to have you know technology allowances and so forth. Mm. Oh yeah, I just recall that we can use like Skype or something back in the day. Yeah, yeah, Skype. That was yeah, yep. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. can just like use like as a company numbers or something. Yeah, I was like, yeah. oh mm-hmm. yeah, I was imagining that like having um like a projector with like how oh. we do podcast. So not that fancy. Nope, nope. doesn't have to be that fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, video. And keep in mind that everybody was in the same boat back then. So video wasn't perfect by any means and neither was, you know, everything else. And so people accepted that. So it wasn't like, uh, 
It wasn't like today. If you come with really bad video, people look at that, you know, in a negative way. Back then, it was just simply, you know, it was it was more of a positive. Hey, you're 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 being innovative. You're doing something different. This is kind of a neat technology, and that's kind of how they looked at it back then. And what about papers, like from the? Because oh, what yeah. I understand, at least in Thailand here, we mm -hmm. have to keep all the papers at least seven mm -hmm. years after after that tax years round. So yeah. yeah, what about on your side? But I'm, yeah, I'm so, right now totally. So we we got rid of paper a long time ago. Actually, <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of funny because we, so we'll scan everything in and everything will be kept virtually. Uh, you know. Uh, for as many many years as required by law, whether it's six years or seven years, but the actual physical paper itself is, isn't necessary. At least it's not in the United States. And so, so we'll, we'll scan everything in. You know, especially like when it comes to tax season, where we'll get a bunch of information from the client. We'll scan it. We'll scan it in and give give it back to the client if the client wants it. Otherwise, we'll we'll destroy it. And uh, we'll have a virtual copy of it. You know, forever. And, and that virtual copy is what we use to actually prepare the repair the returns and so you know with our with our team our team doesn't even have a printer at home you know they we don't we don't they, they could if they wanted to but uh, there's no really need for it so there's not they don't have a printer um, we have everything mailed into one uh, one location in which you know the um, the the location scans everything in there and and takes care of everything so so we're 100 paperless um and have been that way for no number of years to the point we don't we don't send anything out in the mail everything is done you know through email or through um you know safe safety um encrypted boxes you know and that sort of thing so it's it's super safe and uh and with no paper which is nice so i don't have any piles of paper behind me at all <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no dress. <laughs> yep. <laughs> How long it takes for you to build a system like the whole operation that it seems seamless? Yeah, it, it's fairly quick, fairly easily. You just have to have the right software in place, and you have to have processes. Yet you, you have to you have to be diligent with your processes. So if you're a one person shop and you're doing taxes or whatever that might be, well then you've got to have a. a you know, you got to think, hey, how can, how can I, you know, if people are sending me stuff, how can I get this stuff in electronic form? And then how can I do it fairly quickly and, and cheap? Do I need to have it sent somewhere else where they can do it at a very inexpensive place? Can I do it in-house? Can I have a contractor doing it? You know, so you, you've got to look for different ways of, hey, how can I bring that information in? And then once I've done that, do I have the right software that will allow me to do it effectively? Because, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you're using the wrong software, it's going to be a really bad experience for both you and your, your team and even your clients. And so you want to make sure that the software that you're looking at will allow you to work virtually. And so then, of course, you have the other right people. You know, some people want to use paper and that's all they want to use. And then they're going to continue doing it, that's probably not the person you want on your team in. So you want somebody that's open to change and open to be able to using different things. So you have to have the tools and process, tools, processes, and people, all three working together in order for that to work. And it can be done fairly quickly. It can be done within one, one year fairly easily. Lastly, how do you find the right people to work with you virtually then? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and it wasn't until we were national that we could actually do that. When we were in a small city of 300,000 people um, and with the idea that, hey, we're going to go from a, 
you know, an 18 person company to a hundred person company, that's hard to do in a small city. And so we had to actually find a, a national presence. And, and what I mean by that is we had to make sure that we were, that if you, if you look for virtual CFO or look for a specific category, we popped up pretty quickly in the rankings so that when people were looking for that as a customer, they, they could find it, but also people looking for that as a profession, they could also find it. And so we, we found a lot of our folks that way. And then there's other uh, organizations out there that will hire, you know, that will that will basically recruit on a, uh, you know, for, for those folks that are working remote. So fully remote companies, they, you know, there's virtual location, you know, there's a lot, a lot of different companies out there that, that are designed to, to help you find uh, good talent uh, that, that wants to work, you know, fully remote. And, and then it's just simply putting together processes and, and interviewing those folks uh, through the, through the internet, um, not in person, you know, the, all the different things that you, you know, that you would do in person. Now you're doing virtually and, and it's just important to have processes in place, repeatable, know what you want, know what you're looking for, you know, for that role, whether it's somebody, you know, whether you're hiring, you know, because when you're hiring somebody for a virtual CFO role versus somebody that's going to be a bookkeeper, your accountant, it's a completely different person, completely different personality. And so you're looking for that, that individual. Um, you know, what, what I found that worked for me best is that, um, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I meet people, I think everybody can be successful. You know, I, I look into everybody and think, wow, this would be a great person. In reality, they're probably not. So it's important to have a third party that's very objective to help you do the recruiting. And uh, we, we were able to have that. We had, actually had a few people on the team that were, were, were those individuals. And so uh, just creating that national presence. If you can't create it that quickly, reach out to different organizations that recruit nationally that recruit for virtual help. And, um, you know, be- between the two of those, you should be able to build a team fairly, fairly quickly. So in case anyone want to follow you or reach out to you, where can they find you then, Jody? Yeah, it's a great question. So if, if you were to actually Google me, um, uh, I'm going to pop up all over the place. Um, but if you want to reach out to me individually or YouTube me, I, we, we do a lot of videos and everything. Um, my name is again is Jody J O J O D Y. Uh, last name is Grundon G R U N D E N. But you can reach me at Jody at summitcpa.net, and that's not .com. It's .net. I couldn't afford the .com way back then, so I stuck with .net. And uh, you know, feel free to reach out. I'd be happy to return a an email, maybe even hop on a, a quick conversation if it was business related and, and maybe help somebody uh, get to that next step in their career or the, or just give them advice or whatever they might might be looking for. Thank you so much for sharing this awesome experience with our Get Unstuck today. Yeah, thank you. I hope this episode inspired you to get unstuck wherever you are in your journey so that you can have your business that support your lifestyle. Get a short note at www.getunstuck.com today. Start implementing what you have learned. The results of your consistent effort and improvement are worth it. Because you deserve the freedom to enjoy your life. Speak to you next time and don't forget to get unstuck.